Chapters sixty and sixty one of Out of the Shadow by Rose Gollop Cohen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixty. And now I went to the factory to make use of the trade I learned in the settlement shop. Miss O'There found me a place. I learned that to find a job it was not necessary to go from factory to factory. Instead, you read the advertisements in the newspapers. And strange enough, the printed names and addresses turned out to be of real people miss o'there who came with me inquired for me yes shirt-waist makers were wanted and i was taken on i followed a forewoman through long aisles of sewing machines till she placed me at a machine in the middle of the loft and showed me how to work the treadle it was run by steam power i pressed my foot there was a terrific noise and i did not hear the forewoman go then something made me turn my head and i looked up and found her standing at my machine so it was all day she brought me a bundle of work and told me to make up a sample waist i worked very carefully i measured the centerpiece with the tape measure i brought i made dainty french seams and stitched with a small round stitch i felt confident in our little settlement shop i had worked on silks french flannels and fine chambray this was ordinary material shortly before noon i finished the waist i was not mistaken the forewoman looked pleased as she examined it she turned to me this is beautiful she said but my dear girl working like this you won't earn your salt do you know what these waists pay i shook my head a dollar and a quarter a dozen i was dumb with surprise she looked at me a moment what you need she said is speed i'll show you how to work I rose and she sat down at the machine. She lengthened the stitch to three times the size, her back bent over, her eyes fastened on the machine, her hands flew and the machine whirred. She seemed to become one with it. I remembered this picture later. It was the typical picture of a sewing machine operator. I worked a few days, then I was sent away. I was not worth the machine and space I occupied. In my place they could have a woman turning out a dozen and a half ways a day, so now i went from factory to factory trying to acquire speed i worked a day here a few days there till they found me out it is hard to become a botcher as a good worker and i was often discouraged and despondent the thought what is it all about what is it for came rather often to turn out a good piece of work had been a satisfaction its place now was taken by how many more wastes can i do to-day than yesterday but how long can this kind of thing satisfy one? At last I came to the immense shirt-waist factory of F. Brothers. Here I had applied as a tucker in the hope that by specializing I would do better. The forewoman soon noticed, no doubt, that I was not a tucker, and, needing a hand on one of her special machines, she asked me if I would like to try it and told me its merits. A hand who could earn a good day's wages would have hesitated to accept. But what had I to lose? I had not yet earned three dollars a week as a shirt-waist maker. If I had not had my people and my home, where would I have been now? And, besides, I was always eager for new experiences. It turned out to be an eight-needle tucking machine. I was at once delighted and fascinated by it. A machine that could make eight tucks in almost the time that it took to make one. The strain on my eyes was terrific. I had to watch eight needles instead of one, but then, I told myself, I would earn several times more than I would have otherwise. What a wonderful inventor! What a wonderful machine! 
I soon learned, however, that I was paid no more than if I were making one tuck. But the machine continued to interest me, and I was doing here better than I had yet done. So, when there was an opening, I brought my sister and settled myself down to stay. Sister was put to make shirtwaist at the extreme end of the block-long loft, and I and a group of several other eight and five needle-tuckers stood in the middle of it. And now, all day long, I sat feeding white lawn and eight-pin tucks came out. All day hundreds of yards of lawn slipped over my table and fell into a large basket. At first I dared not lift my eyes from the needles. In the evening my eyes smarted and my back ached. But when I learned to understand my machine I did not have to watch so closely. I could tell by the sound it made when a needle grew dull, when a thread broke, when a stitch slipped. Every different trouble made its own different sound. And as I watched my machine from day to day it seemed to me like a human being. When I did not take care of it, oil it, clean it, it did not work properly. I began to love my machine, and in my mind I called it my partner, because it helped me to earn my six dollars. We were peace workers. Some of the girls who could work without lifting their eyes earned more than six dollars. That was how my sister worked. But I could not do that. Indeed, I did not want to. I did not want to become like my machine. So while I fed it the lawn, I listened and looked about a little and thought over what i saw from where i sat i could see the whole floor from end to end i saw hundreds and hundreds of girls bending over sewing machines the floor vibrated beat steadily like a pulse with the steam power the air was filled with the whir i had to keep my head low to distinguish the noise of my own machine and we girls shouted and watched each other's lips when we talked but we did not talk much Right in front of me at a big table stood a large, stout woman with a red, handsome face. She was the head forewoman. All day long she stood or sat at the table, drafting patterns, drinking beer with her head bent under the table, and watching us. There were also assistant forewomen, and foremen, and assistant foremen, and superintendents, and assistant superintendents. They were all watching us. The bosses, we only saw once a day, passed through the aisles. One was round-shouldered with a little black beard and a cross eye. He walked through quickly with his head bent and a preoccupied look on his face. The other boss was straight and tall and he wore a grey French beard. He walked leisurely with his head in the air and looked about. One day we heard that one of our bosses had gone to Europe. When, after some months, he returned to the factory, there was a celebration. The steam power was turned off and the assistant forewomen announced that downstairs in the sales-rooms there was cake and wine and music. But few besides the forewomen went down. We remained sitting at our machines talking to each other. Our own voices sounded strange to us in the quiet, and we felt self-conscious. Soon the forewomen returned, and each one of us received a sealed little envelope with her number on it. We were all called here by the numbers of our machines. My machine and I were ninety-three. In the little envelope, each one of us, three hundred employees, found a little trinket in Roman gold. When the head forewoman returned, her face was redder than usual and beaming with joy. She had received a curiously made ivory cross. She called us to her table and showed it to us. She raised her hand for attention, and we all pressed to the table. She cried, It is no wonder they are so prosperous. They are so good to us. God is blessing them some of the girls looked at her in bewilderment and listened doubtfully the year before two weeks after the gifts had been received the prices had been cut 
a quarter of a cent on a yard of hemstitching five cents on a hundred yards of tucking twenty-five cents on a dozen waists chapter sixty one i was eighteen when i met l v i had come home from work had supper and sat on the stoop looking into the street when suddenly a small dog jumped into my lap i stood up so quickly that he fell like a bundle at my feet then i saw that he was on a chain and tugging at the end of it was a small dark young man he slapped the little dog i am so sorry he said i saw that his eyes were not serious i said i was all right i brushed my skirt and sat down again and he raised his hat and led the little dog away the little animal i knew belonged to our neighbour in the front a middle-aged childless woman who repaired wigs for her living who was the young man none of our men raised their hats like that and from the few words of english he had spoken i understood that he was not only an american but a person of education he came back in a few minutes and stopped near the stoop and i knew that he would talk to me and i sat there the dog soon made it possible he kept pulling at the chain toward me i had sometimes stopped to pat him does he know you the young man asked i said yes so we began to talk he told me that he had come from chicago to visit his aunt the next evening when i came out on the stoop he too soon came and again i let him talk to me i had never before spoken to a young man to whom i had not been introduced yet this seemed all right and i spoke to him as if i were in my own house to the house i did not ask him it was nothing unusual to receive company on the street in fact it was often the only place it was hard to entertain guests in the one room for the little dark bedroom was filled with clothing and folding cots and the extra bedding and other things and the little dark hole of a kitchen was out of the question so there was really only the one room and this was the living room of seven of us here we slept and washed and dressed and ate we had to make great preparations to receive a stranger now it was not as when we were little we felt conscious of the inevitable dirt and the dinginess and the broken-up furniture and felt ashamed so we met on the stoop l v told me he had been to many places and i was proud to tell him what i knew of life outside of cherry street i told him of the people and white birch farm he showed surprise to meet any one here who knew anything outside of the old customs our common knowledge outside of here was at once like a relationship between us and seemed to separate us a little from the rest my parents saw me talking to the young man and they smiled at each other the aunt also saw then one day i noticed that my mother was no longer smiling and she told me that l v s aunt felt it her duty to tell us about her nephew he was really not a bad young man but he got in with the christians with the missioners the aunt explained at this my heart began to beat so quickly that it pained i felt a foreboding of coming trouble soon i learned that l v was baptized and that the missionaries were training him for their own profession by now l v was coming into the house and i continued to see him as before but to my parents now there was all the difference in the world a jew who forsook his own religion his own people was worse than a gentile worse than a heathen he was an apostate he was a disgrace supposing the neighbors learned who the young man was that their daughter went about with an outcast for he who forsook judaism for another religion belonged nowhere he may be baptized a thousand times to the christian he is still the jew and his own people can only pray to god to have pity on him if then it should become known that their daughter associated with the meshumad apostate 
the whole family would be disgraced and what would her chance of marriage be and marriage was all important as a specimen of a daughter i was a disappointment first there had been the illness then disobedience and queer notions and what kind of an influence was i for the children clearly then it would be a blessing if i were married and then too i was already eighteen and it was really high time the two younger girls were coming up very fast as to myself i felt bewildered between my parents and the young man and my own feelings and ideas which seemed all tangled up i could not easily distinguish one thing from another to break friendship because his ideas happened to be different seemed narrow-minded and i did not want to be narrow-minded i also felt that my parents must allow me to judge for myself and they must trust me but they would do neither father as of old wanted me to submit to him in the old custom his opposition antagonized me now more than ever i fought against him with all my strength mother hinted that i drop the acquaintance with l v but i ignored it father commanded and i refused of course they could do nothing they even had to smile that neighbors might not guess but what trouble there was within our four walls in the meantime i learned to know l v better and better he talked religion just as the woman missionary in the hospital had talked it sounded like a lesson learnt by heart then too there was a certain lightness about everything he said always the eyes lacked seriousness and the lips almost smiled as if life were a joke i felt dreadfully troubled one saturday he came to our house with a young man friend of his and introduced him i little thought that day to what his introduction would lead later it was late in the afternoon and our candlesticks which we placed on the table friday night still stood there we would not touch them until it grew dark and at least three stars were out only the very orthodox jews observed this custom but in our house father made us all observe it no matter what other customs were neglected elvie's friend noticed it with surprise he said he had not been to such a strictly orthodox-looking house since he had come to this country ten years before i could see that he looked at us all with pity knowing l v s ideas on religion he understood what trouble we were all in i had never seen l v before with other people except with those of my own family he and his friend discussed politics and religion and i sat and listened and watched them they were so different l v as always spoke jestingly about everything the friend was serious yet he could jest too he was very outspoken almost blunt i liked him when they were gone mother looked at me with her pleading eyes and said now do you see the difference something within me seemed to harden in a moment and i said no i can't see any difference what would have happened i cannot tell but he soon left for chicago to prepare to go to a theological seminary out west and we began to correspond and now an unexpected joy came into my life writing and here again as with the other things that i had learned it seemed accidental it is to this correspondence that i owe a great deal of what i learned of writing in english with the help of the children i could read and write script myself now all day long then at the machine i thought over what i would say and looked forward to the evening when i could write this to me was not like writing a sentence which no one would ever see the thought that what i wrote would be read and weighed and thought about filled me with excitement so i wrote and rewrote my letters using up a great deal of paper months passed and one day i was filled with joy and pride 
i realized quite suddenly that i had learned to read and write well enough to do the corresponding myself in the spring elvie returned to the city to start west one day he told me that he loved me and asked me to wait for him two years i thought of my parents and i could not help weeping at the suffering i must cause them but i also thought it right for me to do what i thought was right i saw my life so empty without the letters surely that was love and i promised to wait he went away and again he began to correspond how joyfully i greeted the first letter that came i knew and loved every line and curve of the simple clear handwriting i spent a great deal of time in copying the phrases that pleased me i gave these letters most of my time and thought i almost lived for them in his letters l v sometimes told me of boyish escapades flirtations but as long as letters came nothing mattered sometimes when i thought it over it seemed queer that it did not matter sometimes too i tried to think of myself married but i could not picture myself married to him or any one else i liked the companionship of men but the thought of marriage often filled me with fear even with disgust so the sweatshop left its mark End of chapter 61